Hey guys, how's it going? Welcome to another Old Basics Discover podcast. I'm your host, Derek Craig, and this is episode number 59. Today we're going to be talking about gas turbine power generation. So this is a pretty, at least a very interesting topic to me, and I think it's it's becoming more and more of a prevalent topic and a hot topic in the oil field, uh, especially in, in places like the Permian, right, where we've just got a bunch of gas that just burn off and flare wastelessly. So it's a pretty interesting topic, uh, and I think this will be a pretty good um, episode to really introduce us to the, the fundamentals of it, how turbines work, uh, a lot of the different questions that an operator or anybody should be asking, you know, if you if you actually want to deploy some of this technology. So pretty interesting topic here lined up today, lots of different points that we'll be talking about. Uh, before we dive into that, though, I just want to do a little wellness check here on everybody. Um, want to make sure everybody's still doing well. Uh, and making uh, the best of the challenges, even with uh, the lower commodity pricing and um, obviously the pandemic, um, kind of the elephant in the room. So, um, you know, as, as I think we're all in the same boat together, though, we're all trying to figure out how to adapt, you know, from working from home, uh, especially, you know, if operations are probably changing the field and there's some limitations on that. All the office people probably, I think probably it's pretty safe to say probably industry wide, you know, a lot of us vast majority of us, um, at least have reported to an office in any sort of capacities, probably reporting from home. Uh, so there's some adjustments on that it really limits our interactions with each other. And so now might be a good time just kind of check in, you know, with your coworkers, your friends and make sure they're doing good, do the wellness check, make sure they haven't lost their sanity. <laughs> some of us are probably struggling with that, especially when, you know, you're not leaving to go to a separate place and, you know, you're just at home all day long. So get outside a little bit and hopefully you got a nice place to walk and, <laughs> and get outside. But Anyways, like I said, just check in on your, your your friends, your coworkers, and we'll all get through this together, guys. So, and again, thanks for tuning in, um, and for your continued interest in learning, even with all these distractions. Uh, that really says a lot about uh, you guys as, as listeners that you're still interested in your professional development and still learning and and learning more about our awesome industry. And and we'll bounce back from all this. So it's good to have all this knowledge, you know, on the other side. So. <laughs> Um, if you're new here, if this is actually the first time that you've listened, uh, I'd encourage you to first off, go back and check the library of, of episodes. Uh, we've covered a lot of topics. And like I said, this is episode 59. So roughly, you know, at least 58, 59, 60 other topics. So we've covered a lot of different topics, a lot of different guests from all across the industry, uh, very operations focused all the way up even to some of the, some corporate topics and, and even uh, some on technology and, and all that kind of stuff. So we've covered a lot of different topics. So check that out. And then also you know, all of the basics, what we're trying to do here, again, if you're new, just trying to make it easy to learn about all the different aspects and, and sides and everything of our of our own industry. And so there's, you know, within our own career, we're probably only going to, you know, do a couple different types of jobs and, and see only so many different things. But really what we're trying to do at Ofo Basics is be a, be a hub. Um, so, you know, if you want to take a course on a particular topic, if you're, if, you, if you're new to a different type of position, you need to have some, um, some type of a, a learning curriculum to help you. And you know, we want to help, we want to be there to provide that. You know, obviously this podcast just helped to kind of introduce us to the different sides of our industry and all these different topics, everything that's kind of going on, just keep us up to date. And, and then also on the video side, you know, we partner with companies, you know, to do, um, interviews and, and reviews on like their, their different tools and their products and technologies and, and just trying to keep everybody up to date that way too. And then also, you know, if that, any of that perked your ears, you know, if you'd like to be a guest on the show and share your little um, tidbit of the industry with us, you know, please reach out, uh, reach out to me. You can find me on LinkedIn. You can email contact at ofobasics.com. Also, you know, if you guys um, maybe go around and teach a course or have some type of curriculum or some type of educational material, PowerPoint presentation, whatever, uh, reach out to me. Uh, we definitely love to get that hosted on the site and uh, offer that as a course and, and whatnot. So, and if any of that sound interesting, guys, please reach out and help contribute to the, the platform and all together we'll have a pretty good resource for all of us. So anyways, that's my little uh, spiel for the day. Uh, like I said, hope everyone's doing well and still making the best of, of all these challenges. But without further ado, I want to start diving into the topic. Like I said, today we're going to be talking about gas turbine power generation. And my guest today is Justin Lippman. He has been on this side for uh, this side of the industry for a while now. He's been a technician all the way up now to salesman and, and a business development for a company, Lifecycle Power. So a lot of good background here with it. I'm excited to dive into this. Justin's on the phone. How are you doing today, Justin? I'm good, sir. How are you? <laughs> Pretty good, despite all the circumstances. <laughs> I think we're all <laughs> yeah, adapting together. A, <laughs> yeah, that was a... Uh, um, I may have over exaggerated that I'm good, but uh, right. yeah, I mean, we're uh, <laughs> still just a natural know, reaction. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, just trying to stay positive. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. And I know there's a lot of companies and stuff going through layoffs, and and that's that's hard to go through. And then for me too, this is my first 
real true downturn um, in the industry since at least like being out in it full time. <laughs> so mm. this is all uncharted, you know, un- uncharted uh, waters and territory for me here. And, and, you know, like I said, too, if anybody's new to the show, you know, go back a couple episodes, we did an interview specifically on the market, uh, the oil commodity market, and just kind of help to understand what's going on and just kind of put all this in our minds, you know, just help us to better understand and kind of know what to expect and you know, why things are like they are. And it's just a, it's really a big compilation of everything. So <laughs> all at once, but <laughs> Like I said, we'll get through this all together. <laughs> yeah, so I'd like to start diving into the topic. And I, but first, I want to you know hear a little bit more about your background. I mentioned you know you used to be a technician on this side of the things and also you now into business development. But kind of fill us in on the gaps here. I know you got a lot more background than that. So Sure. Well, it's, it's funny you mentioned that this was uh, uh, your first downturn. That's actually how I got involved in the gas turbine industry was several years ago uh, when the price of oil took a hit back in 2016 and we were seeing prices uh, that were pretty similar to what we're seeing today. Yeah. Um, I was uh, I was working on the production side uh, doing pump jack sales and service and uh, I was, was working for Slumberjay. They had recently acquired a, uh, a smaller company called Shores Lift Solutions as a manufacturer of pump jacks but also a uh, service yeah. company as well. And um, time came, I uh, saw drastic downsizing from Slumberjay, and I was uh, unfortunately still fairly new to the industry, so I got laid off. And, and uh, But anyway, it was, it was interesting because I was talking to uh, a buddy of mine that I served in the Army with, and he knew of a gentleman that was doing gas turbine power generation for a, a different company, uh, but they were based out of Arizona, which kind of caught my interest, and that, that's where that's where my buddy lived. I was out there seeing him for a weekend. And okay, I will say the Arizona here. part or the gas turbine part? <laughs> well, uh, both. I, I, I mean, I I didn't even know what a gas turbine was at, at that point. I, I, mean, I, I did. I just kind of affiliated them with uh, with aircraft engines. Um, but anyway, when I was when I was out there again, I was I was out in Arizona to for a weekend to go see my my buddy, and he was like, "Yeah, you should go uh, stop by his shop if you got some time, and uh, especially if you're." looking for a job. And so I met with them and I was like, what? I just, I remember asking, it's like, what are you doing out here in Mesa, Arizona <laughs> that you've got business in the Permian? So yeah. he explained that he was uh, running these gas turbine generators that were feeding off flare gas from the operator and they were turning around and making electricity out of it. And I was just kind of like, wow, this actually sounds really neat. Um, I, I yeah. still know nothing about how these things operate, but uh, I stayed in touch with them. And uh, after I'd gotten laid off from Slumberjay, he, he offered me a job as a technician. And I, you know, I, I made it very clear that I, again, I know nothing about gas turbines. And he's like, he's like, just don't worry about it. I'll, I'll, I'll teach you how to, how to maintain them. You know, because I was kind of under the assumption that this was a, uh, you know, they, they were going to have a similar maintenance cycle as like a, you know, reciprocating engine like a car or, or yeah. a typical diesel generator. And, uh uh, little did I know that it, I was actually uh, uh, it was kind of in for a surprise as a, as a technician because I didn't have to go out there and repair it that much. I mean, the thing just it's just the <laughs> turbines are just workhorses; they just don't break. Um, you know, that's that's why they're you know, that's, that's why they're on aircraft. I mean, it's just a um, you know, it's nothing special about the about the design, whether whether it's manufactured by General Electric or, or Solar. It's just mm-hmm. the, the turbine is just a more reliable piece of machinery. So, anyway, that's that's how I got my start. Um, you know, I was working as a technician, go out there and check on it every now and then. But I mean, again, the thing just did not need uh, a lot of maintenance. Just as a very robust design, and uh, kind of worked my way into sales as we saw more demand for it out here in the Permian. Uh, moved on to a uh, another company that specialized in microturbines that had a little bit more footprint in the Permian, and then. Um, Got a, a lot more business development experience there with a, uh, a different type of turbine, and then, uh, but the, the the trend that I was seeing out here in the Permian and and essentially just all over Texas is that the the demand for electricity has has just compounded exponentially just due to you know the, the transition from pump jacks to ESPs to oh, yeah. saltwater disposals that are running multiple 800 horsepower motors. I mean, and it's just something that is. It's the big transition that I've seen on the power generation side from from 2016 when I first started doing this 
up until today is that you know these these smaller turbines while they have great designs they're just they weren't meeting the overall power need of the operator and so i found lifecycle power about 6 months ago met with the owner he ex- explained to me the models of turbines that they were fielding out here in the permian um, you know from a couple megawatts all the way up to you know 30 and 50 megawatt type units i mean massive power plants that uh, you know they've They've got their niche in the oil field, and a lot of it is powering production facilities. So that's, uh, I guess, kind of in a nutshell how how I got into this business. I mean, it's uh, again when I when I started, it's something that just really piqued my interest because wow, you're taking a a uh, natural resource that is often being flared uh, for you know multiple different reasons, but you've found a machine that can convert it into electricity. And the operator needs to get rid of the gas, but they also need electricity. So it's, it's just kind of a, a win-win for everybody. Yeah, no, for sure. And that, that's one of the things I was going to ask you too, like just to kind of help frame it up for someone who's who's not, you know, maybe is outside of the industry or whatever. And just trying to figure out where does this uh, kind of frame or fit into our industry? You know, what applic- where have you got, where have you kind of seen it being used? And it sounds like mostly on the, the production side, but also have you ever seen it being used for like um, the the producers to um, power their like completion fleets or anything like that or their their drilling rigs or kind of use it internally for their own operations too or right so the uh, most of the operations that that we power with our turbines are on the production and drilling side the uh, the completions the fracking their that market is uh, it's it's a lot more it's a lot more mobile than the production mm-hmm. and drilling side. And obviously the drilling side is mobile. I'll get back to that in a second. Yeah. Uh, but just the, uh, um, I guess the op tempo of the completion side is just a little bit different than drilling and production. So we've kind of found our niche on the drilling and production side. Uh, there are several other companies out there that are running natural gas turbine frack fleets, and they're doing very well. Uh, you know, the, the, the beauty about the turbines is that you can run them on, run them on, uh, compressed natural gas or LNG, obviously field gas, and so it, it makes it a lot more economical on the operator when you're converting a 100% diesel fleet to a natural gas turbine-driven fleet. Uh, so for us, as uh, for at least my company in a way, we're we're mainly focused on the production and drilling side. Oh, okay, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, so I guess you know, let's before we get too far into all the logistics and all this kind of stuff, let's just start the very basics here at the beginning and just talk about uh, how does a natural gas turbine work? And I know you mentioned about it, them being really reliable and I suppose that's inherent of their design. And it just kind of fill us in here on the details of, of I guess, how they work uh, functionality wise. Sure. So if you've ever sat on an airplane on a window seat that overlooks the wing, probably seen a, a turbine engine start up at some point in your life. It's very similar design. I mean, a lot of our, models are actually aero-derivative turbines. Um, so instead of, in our case, instead of using the turbine to generate thrust to push an aircraft forward, we're using the combustion of the fuel spinning around a bunch of these turbine blades to generate electricity. So very similar design. Uh, the reliability, again, just comes from its lack of moving parts. The air is sucked into the turbine through a compressor. It goes into a combustion system where there's fan blades that are attached to a central shaft. It spins around really fast. It, that speed uh, gets reduced down through a gearbox, which is, again, uh, transferred into the actual generator part of the, uh, the turbine itself. Uh, the generator end is just a bunch of tightly uh, wound copper wire with some magnets. And, again, forgive me if I'm really dumbing this down, but, you know, it's, it, no, it's, it's, it's very simple. Um, the generator end spins at a certain RPM, and then that's what generates the electricity, which we output through um, or to the the customers' overhead power lines. So just I mean, just think of it as a big air mover. You've got air coming in mixed with natural gas fuel. It gets combusted. It spins these fan blades at a very high rate of speed. It, that energy is then transferred over to the generator side of the turbine, and the electricity is is then the uh, output directly to the customer through the power line. So it's, again, compared to 
a typical generator that you might see on an oil location, whether it's diesel or natural gas, you know, there's there's no pistons or or camshafts or you know slew of other moving parts. You've just got a massive size shaft with a bunch of fan blades around it, spinning it again at a very high rate of RPM, which turn a generator to create electricity. So um, that's where your reliability really comes into play. Mm-hmm. Now, how does that? I guess what is like the kind of the the output and stuff? Does that take a lot of infrastructure? You know, there for convert because I, I did somewhat of a research project on um, converting you know the natural gas you know flare gas or even all the uh, wells gas you know in the Permian took a, a case study out of there and yeah you know, one of the things I kept hearing was that it, it you have to be very careful about you know obviously what that output of the electricity is and that's a, if that's in a usable form how you get it in a usable form all that kind of stuff um, I know there's probably a different a bunch of different designs and, and units on the market um, but I guess what can you kind of tell us in terms of so once you generate that electricity, um, you know what do you <laughs> what do you have to do from it uh, from there and just a, a very high level point of view, and we can get more in the weeds later on it. So for most of our units, that's that's where you'll see a, a big difference with these larger turbines compared to some smaller diesel or natural gas driven generators. Is that our voltage output? It's not 480 volts. So you know your typical pump jack or ESP or facility load is going to run on 480 volts. The Solar SMT60, for instance, which is a, 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 it's a, it's a 5.7 megawatt turbine, which is one of the more common ones in our fleet, it can output directly at, at uh, 12,470 volts, which is a very typical line voltage out here in the Permian. So in an instance like that, there's, there's nothing you need to do to it. If the operator's line voltage is, is 12,470 and, and that's what they've designed their field around, then all you have to do is essentially just hook the wires up to the turbine um, and just let it run. And you can run those in parallel. You can, you know, put multiple, uh, you can put multiple units on the same grid. They all sync together if you need to add or subtract the units based on, uh, you know, decline curve or, you know, drilling, drilling more wells and adding more pumps. Uh, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's pretty simple. If, uh, if you, you know, if the voltage isn't 12.47 or 14.4 or, or a handful of other common voltages, we can step those up using a step-up transformer. Uh, another common voltage that you'll see out here is is 24.9 or 25,000 volts. That's it's very easy to do. Instead of directly tying the turbine into the power lines, you just put a transformer in between the trans or the I'm sorry, the the turbine will output the electricity through the transformer, step it up to the required voltage that the operator has designed their field around, and then that's it um, on the electrical side. It's it's pretty simple. So that's kind of one of the key components before we put a turbine on the site is just getting with the electrical automation division or whomever is in charge of the electrical infrastructure within the company and just determining what their desired line voltage needs to be, and then we'll adjust the turbines accordingly. So it's, it's pretty simple on our end. Okay, so for the most part, you're just – working pretty much with an operator exclusively like they generate the power they use it in-house per se um so whatever like their lines however their system is set up you're not really uh, going into the grid or anything for it typically or no sir for uh for most of these uh projects that we're working on with the operator they're in a scenario where they're either the, the grid is not providing them with enough electricity uh you know they're having voltage swings or they just cannot keep up with the, the increased load or they're just in an area where the utility just can't reach them. You know, they're in a, a very remote lease that's, you know, 10 miles away from the nearest substation. So they will build out their power lines or perhaps their lines are already built because they need them anyway, and they're just waiting for utility power to get there. So it makes it pretty easy on, on our part. We just figure out exactly what line voltage that they want. And then, again, we just either adjust the turbine physically to accommodate for that voltage or we bring out a transformer to to make sure that we meet their needs. Okay. Now, is this all basically what what, what they would call like a, a microgrid, or I guess what? How would you define that, and and you know how is it built? You know, uh, overall. So, uh, I mean, a microgrid is in most of the scenarios that we work in. A microgrid is it's just the existing pole line infrastructure that the operator is using. Okay. Uh, we just disconnect it, so we we create a 
a, a grid within their existing grid system because, again, just going back to what I touched on a, a couple seconds ago, is, you know, they, they were at some point attached or connected to the utility, but due to the massive overload of new pumps and facilities being brought online, you know, they're sharing that, that same grid that they're attached to, uh, that, or sorry, that they're connected to, you know, they're also sharing with seven other operators in the area. So yeah. it's not just them that's trying to draw power from the utility. So uh, if they own the lines, if they own their own power lines, it's, it's, it's easy. We just find a, a common point to where we can disconnect, set the turbine, you know, near their fuel source or wherever they want to tie into the electrical infrastructure and then build a pad site there with a turbine or, or multiple turbines if they need them. So it's just, a, I mean, a microgrid, it's, it's kind of just a, uh, it's, it's just a new term that I think operators are using for just their own sections of, of, of private power line is mm. all it is that they're, that they're self-generating with. Gotcha. No, I didn't, I didn't realize that this was a pretty common thing in the Permian that people were creating their own you know, infrastructure in a sense, you know, even with or without, you know, the turbine. So that's interesting. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, they don't have to do anything uh, on their end to, to run a turbine on it. It's again, it's existing power mm-hmm. lines that we just find a, a point that they want to disconnect from, you know, based on their analysis that they, you know, if they're, uh, you know, they're anticipating on receiving 10 extra megawatts from the utility at a certain date and they're not able to receive it. You know, they tried connecting to it, but they just you know, keep having these massive voltage swings where they, you know, they can't keep, you know, I had a, a scenario a couple of years ago where uh, out in Reeves County where the operator, the highest voltage that they saw in their field was, I think it was like 450 volts. Like they just, they couldn't even get up to 480. Like the, the grid was just so, so strained. And so, um, in that instance, yeah, I mean, that's a, a perfect scenario where we found, you know, pretty much their, the section of grid that had the highest load on it, which pretty similar to today, it was just a, a bunch of ESPs that had recently been completed. Mm-hmm. And um, so we just tied all those ESPs into the turbine, and that way it just kind of it takes that load off the utility, and then you've got, you know, perfect 480 volts going back out to your to your field without the without the load swings and and you know that with all the automation that's in the field now um, you know it's it's not so much a benefit from reliability but it's also it's, it's a cost benefit because those voltage swings especially if you're getting dirty power with a lot of harmonics in it that's that can be that can be damaging to a lot of equipment if it doesn't have if it doesn't have harmonics filters on it so mm. uh, with the turbine you know it's you know, it's it's your power to do with what you want. Uh, you know, you don't get the 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 load swings because we design the system to put out on your production lease, so you don't have those voltage drops as you would with an over an overloaded utility grid. Okay, so it, overall, it doesn't handle or produce, um, or I guess it it does handle swing loads pretty good. It does. I mean, so again. Uh, Stepping back to how a turbine actually works, when you compare it to a reciprocating engine that has you know pistons and everything like that, it, the turbine operates at a constant RPM regardless of load. Oh, okay. so whereas, you know, think of it as like your car or a regular diesel or natural gas engine. You know, it operates at at varying RPMs based on you know how much load or how much power you're trying to get out of that engine. Mm-hmm. So if you've ever uh, if you've ever been out on a on a production lease where you've got a, a single diesel generator running a pump jack, and if you if you stare at it long enough and you notice that whenever that pump <laughs> jack is on the upstroke, you'll you know you'll see a big black puff of smoke come out of the generator. Come out of, come out of the generator. You'll hear it, you know, crank up on RPMs to kind of mm. compensate because it's it's trying to keep that 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 constant load on the pump jack. Okay. So. But that's the difference, you know. It, it's it, it, a combustion engine just runs on variable RPMs, whereas a turbine, it's 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 running at the same RPM regardless of load. So when you flip it on, it's got zero kilowatt kilowatts on the on the generator, and then you connect, you know, three megawatts of load. You'll hear it, but it's not it's not the engine itself picking up RPMs. It's mm. just more fuel 
being thrown into the combustor so it can stay at that same RPM. The only thing, if you're staring at the screen, the only thing you'll notice is that your, your fuel demand will spike when you hit it with a, a massive amperage load, but it's not going to hurt the turbine. I mean, that's, that's the whole, uh, one of the benefits of, of running a piece of machinery like a piece of machinery like that yeah. that runs at a constant RPM is it just it's it's designed to handle those swing loads, which makes it such a great option not only for drilling rigs but also uh, production production leases too. You know these a lot of these ESPs, even though they're on drives um, or different types of automation, when they kick on, a lot of them have some some pretty uh, pretty sustain, substantial amperage loads when they kick on. You know, it may not be, you know, it may not be a thousand amps, but if you've got a whole field coming on at once and, you know, every drive is, you know, outputting or demanding, you know, 50 or 100 amps spread across, you know, several miles worth of power line, you know, it's not going to nuke the turbine. The turbine is just going to inject a little more fuel to keep it running. But I mean, it's, it's not going to, it's not going to hurt it at all. That's what yeah. it's designed to do. Gotcha. No, that's pretty cool. That's that's counterintuitive to think about too, <laughs> the the way that that functions and and that's one thing I you know I learned from you know touring even just um, a big industrial power plant you know for the the actual um, everyday you know consumer grid, um, is that they can load follow uh, pretty well like you said just by adding a little bit more fuel <laughs> you know what I mean so mm-hmm. it's pretty unique on them for sure. So kind of staying on the fuel topic though. I guess let's, let's talk about, you know, for one, like how much, you know, fuel consumption, what this actually looks like, um, fuel consumption wise, and then also, you know, the composition of that fuel. So how sensitive are they? I'm, I've heard they're, they're for the most part, not very sensitive, but at the same time, I don't know how across the board that is. So you can kind of shed some light on fuel. That'd be pretty cool. Sure. Yeah. I'll, I'll touch on the, the fuel gas sensitivity just briefly, and then I'll uh, loop back around to it because they're, yeah. You're, you're right. They're, they're not sensitive on fuel composition at all. Um, in terms of fuel consumption, it, it, it really depends on the size of the engine. Uh, I'll, I'll kind of touch on the two major turbines that we field out here in the Permian. Uh, one of them is the, the T60 engine that's manufactured by Solar. It's a, it's a 5.7 megawatt generator, and that one will consume about a million and a half standard cubic feet a day. The second most common unit I think we probably feel that here is the, it's called a GETM 2500. It's substantially bigger. It's a 32 megawatt unit. And that one will consume about 7 million cubic feet a day. So in comparison to a reciprocating engine, yeah, they do consume a lot more fuel, but it's kind of apples and oranges in that aspect because you are getting way more power output from a turbine than you would from a reciprocating type engine or, or anything else for that matter. Gotcha. Um, in terms of the how sensitive they are to fuel, again, the BTU content, it's, it's something that, I, I mean, we look at gas analysis on each side that we do before we do an installation, but when it comes to BTU content, I, I, mean, I really don't care. I mean, customers will ask me, it's like, oh, you know, we've got high BTU fuel of, you know, 1400 BTU. I'm like, man, that's, that's really not that bad. It's actually pretty common out here. Uh, I mean, they'll, they'll eat up 1300 to 1400 BTU all day. We've got sites that are burning upwards of, of 2000 BTU out here in the Permian. So BTU levels, uh, again, it, it really doesn't bother me. So, and it doesn't bother the turbines. I mean, yeah. they will, I mean, they'll, They'll eat through just about any type of fuel that I've come across out here. <laughs> okay. Uh, now, does that does that mean that they produce you know more electricity um, with the higher BTU fuel, or does that stay about the same? See, so, yeah, you'll have um, you'll have a little bit different output on the engine, and a lot of that uh, I shouldn't say a lot of it. It it really varies depending on altitude and temperature will probably make more of an impact on that than anything. Oh, okay. Um, your, B, your B2 content will. I mean, we've fortunately since, you know, we, we work with some uh, some really good turbine manufacturers like Solar and, and GE. We can make some very accurate calculations on how much fuel that the turbine will actually use. So that's kind of, that's another thing that I ask an operator for is, is a gas analysis, but we also will find the altitude of the location, which since we're in Midland, uh, it really doesn't <laughs> change that much. Yeah. Um, 
but altitude does make a, uh, a little bit of a difference, especially once you get in the, you know, your higher Colorado altitudes. Um, and then, um, I assume it just takes more fuel. It, yeah, I mean, it, again, it really just, it really just comes down to the efficiency of the turbine. And a lot of this is, again, solely dependent on altitude temperature. Um, you know, your, your rated, your rated output of the turbine. So, so say, uh, you know, say we'll go back to the the T60 unit that we have, which is 5.7 megawatts. Mm-hmm. You know, in colder in colder weather, you know that, that's 5.7 megawatts at ISO, which ISO for this unit is, yeah, you know, I, I don't I don't know exactly what the temperature is, but you know, it's a say a 60 degree day in San Diego because that's where the engines are manufactured. Okay. Which we don't see too many of those days out here in the Permian, so <laughs> we have to account for that, especially you know when it's uh, you know 120 degrees in the middle of the summer. So. The unit will generate less power during hot weather. There's, you know, I, I, if I could find out a way to combat that to where it, you know, the, the turbine generated 5.7 megawatts in any temperature, I'd, I'd probably, uh, could probably retire early, but, um, you know, that's just, that's just physics. <laughs> but in colder weather, it'll actually produce more power. It's just, um, again, just variances of temperature. So that 5.7 megawatts is, is nameplate. For, mm-hmm. for instance, on this turbine, whether it's 5.7 megawatts or 32 megawatts, whatever size of the, the turbine it is, but mm-hmm. yeah, the, the biggest uh, the biggest thing you'll have to compensate for is, is temperature out here. Okay, gotcha. What's kind of the you know the input PSI for for these uh, turbines? Again, that that does vary just because we do run a, a multitude of, of different engines, but. Typically, uh, you know, minimum 200 psi on some of the smaller units, like your, you know, your three megawatts, um, all the way up to, you know, your your 5.7 megawatts, and, and in that class, when you've got the bigger turbines like the GE TM2500s, you know, those will run upwards of, you know, around 400 psi, which is, um, you know, it's not not crazy high gas levels, but on some locations it is something that we'll have to compress. So yeah, that's the, what I was wondering. Yeah, I mean, the ideal location, which a lot of our sites run on, is, is pipeline fuel. You know, mm-hmm. they're, the pipeline is linked to a compressor station somewhere down the line, so you, you don't need gas compression, but mm-hmm. if you do need it, you know, it's 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 not like a gas compressor is a very uncommon piece of, right. piece of equipment <laughs> in the oil field, so yeah. we we provide those. We run dual compression on all of our sites, and, and and you just have to. The the size of compressors that we're dealing with, they're all gas-fired engines, so they uh, typically don't react very well to, to cold weather, which fortunately we don't have a lot of again in the Permian. But yeah, you know that's that's the biggest causes of outages that you'll have with a gas turbine is loss of fuel pressure, and and, and honestly, a, a lot of it's not uh, due to the compressor itself. It's there's a lot of human error that gets involved with maintenance on facilities because yeah, again, I don't know why compressors are always like the thing that takes everything down. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so, seriously. <laughs> but you know, again, that's that's why we run dual compression on on all of our sites. You so know, for redundancies, compre- or is it actually two stage? Yeah, no, it's it's just for redundancy, just oh, okay. in case one unit goes down. I mean, gotcha. I, and it's it's kind of it's kind of ironic, you know, you've got a a gas fired engine compressor that's feeding a turbine driven generator yeah. <laughs> and again just kind of going back to reliability i mean it's just it just shows you right there that's why we have to run you know we don't have to run dual turbines right uh, because i'm not not worried about the turbine dying i'm worried about loss of loss of fuel pressure so and again mm. it's it's the loss of fuel pressure on the compression side is is not very common because we run dual compression for that reason but there's a lot of human error involved when you're pulling gas from a facility and uh, you know, the a lot of times the facilities that we're pulling fuel from are, you know, a mile or so away. They're not, you know, the turbine doesn't need to be next to the fuel source. It just needs to have access to uh, a gas supply line. So you've got a an operator that, you know, technician goes out there to change out a ball valve or something, and he turns off the wrong ball valve, and it cuts right. pressure to the <laughs> turbine, and then it kills the entire field. So, yeah. Um, so, but, you know, that's... That's an easy fix when it's human error. We also uh, run a lot of CNG backups on our turbines just for when, 
you know, those little boo-boos happen. Yeah. You can put a couple tanks to CNG out there, and if it detects a pressure loss of, you know, whatever PSI we have it set to, it'll open up the CNG tanks. And you you can mix the CNG and the field gas together without a problem, and the, the turbine won't even know the difference, and and neither will the operator, because they, cause they won't lose electricity until... Yeah. You know, until you get those compressors up and going or they open up that ball valve. I mean, that's 99% of the failures that you'll see is just a loss of, loss of fuel pressure to the turbine itself. Oh, okay. So overall, like, you know, what's expected, like, reliability and, and like, a runtime percentage, you know, if you're looking at, like, numbers, you know, what what, the, what do those typically look like then overall? So, I mean, our, our average is... It's about 99%, and I think you'll find that with just about any turbine out there, whether it's a, a turbine generator or a turbine compressor. Um, it's just a, a very reliable piece of machinery. We we guarantee, personally, as a company, 98%. Uh, obviously, stuff does happen, but um, the runtime that we have, it's 99-point-something, 99 okay. <laughs> I'm not exactly sure. I mean, that's kind of getting pretty picky in it, but I mean, it's... Yeah. It's it's pretty high. <laughs> gotcha, <laughs> gotcha. Now, kind of, I guess. So we talked about you know we talked about the grid, and so we talked about the fuel and everything. Now let's kind of what's it, what does this kind of look like on on site? So you know the the turbine itself. Um, you know what's the, the physical size of that? Is is it very portable? You know how, how big is it? Um, and then also to you know I guess we've we've kind of hit on it. You know that you're going to have probably a CNG backup on site couple compressors you know what else are we kind of missing um from the facility side so the i'll we'll start with the the portability of the units so they're all trailer mounted so okay like semi-trailer or like pull behind your half-ton trailer uh semi-trailer okay (laughs) i got it figured (laughs) yeah uh yeah i mean they're typically on 53 foot or, or 40 foot trailers, depending on the, the the size of the unit. But yeah, they're they're semi truck loads. Um, but I mean, they're 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 standard width loads. I mean, they're not you don't oh, need okay. special permits to, to run them down the highway. The um, I'll I'll touch back on the the T60 again, just because I've I've mentioned it a couple times. So the the T60 is made by Solar Turbines, Solar Turbines out in San Diego. The original design. We've got a bunch of these in the field. It's a it's a two trailer design. So you've actually got the turbine and generator on on one trailer, and then you've got the control systems, uh, backup batteries, a handful of other automation equipment in a second trailer. Um, you know, it still doesn't take up a lot of space on the pad. It's just two semi truck trailers, but the the setup of it is not as quick as these new ones that are called the SMT60s. It's the same engine. Same generator, automation's been upgraded a little bit, and there's some oh, okay. you know, fancy, fancy new gadgets on it. But yeah. the biggest thing is it's it's a single trailer turbine as opposed to a dual trailer of the older T60 engine. So you've got one trailer, it's a little bit longer, but again, doesn't require a special permit or anything. Mm-hmm. And 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 that's it. Everything is internal on this. I mean, you just you back the trailer up. You don't need a crane to set it up like you did in the old ones. You needed a, a smaller crane to to hang the the air inlet uh, on the old T60s. But this one, it's you literally just back it up. It links to your phone. It's got an app where it auto levels. I mean, you you just meet the operator on site. He tells you where to put it. Bust out your phone, and it auto levels, kind of like an RV. Oh wow! It just sets itself, and then it continues to auto level uh, while it's in operation. So in case the ground shifts for whatever, if um, you know whatever reason would cause it to shift by a couple millimeters, the turbine will auto level while it's while it's running to mm. you know mitigate vibration issues and, and other problems that could cause. So it's it's a uh, it's a it's a pretty neat piece of equipment. We've got oh I think like six or seven of them out in the field right now. We've we've actually ordered the entire production line from Solar for the remainder of the year because they've been so popular out here. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, Solar's manufacturing facility is actually catering to us for the remainder of the year. We're getting oh, wow. it. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's it's proven. It's I mean the engine itself has been proven. Its engine's probably the engine design is is older than I am, but the the actual packaging of the the unit has only been around for for several months. So yeah, we're we're pretty excited to 
to be fielding some of the, the first ones out here on the Permian. Yeah. And so whenever you talk about something like the, you talked about earlier, the GN uh, or GETN 2500, the one that produces 32 megawatts, so mm-hmm. way bigger. Um, is it actually a, a, like a bigger unit? Like does this actually scale with output or, or what? It, it's, yeah, it's pretty similar. The uh, size-wise, again, it, it's still on a trailer. This one's a, it's a, it's a dual trailer. You know, you've got your control trailer with all your automation equipment on one and then the turbine and generator in another one. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's really lengthwise of the trailer. It's, it's really not, it's really not that much bigger. It doesn't take up that much extra space on the pad. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a little bit taller, but you know, once you're, once you're standing next to it and you've got one of the smaller, you know, 5.7 megawatt turbines next to it, it's, I mean, it's noticeably bigger, but it's, you know, it's not like, it's not like having a big, giant steam mm-hmm. turbine power plant okay not like there. six it's, times bigger or anything yeah okay no no yeah now like i guess like the output side of it does it is it just pretty modular in a sense of the way it actually connects um, into whatever grid system they're using or or what mm-hmm. yes sir so what we will do is i mean for the most part all our all of our installs will tie directly into the grid so you'll have you know you'll, you'll stub up your your power line poles next to it and run it straight into the turbine i mean if there's if there's additional equipment you know if if sometimes operator will like uh you know a a large fusible disconnect or something in between you'll have that if they it's it's kind of up to the operator if they want to put any sort of protection in between the turbine um and the power lines themselves but essentially yeah you're just you're running the power line straight into the turbine okay Um, gotcha and then if you need a transformer that's the only thing you'll have in between there it's just Three okay. lines coming out of the the turbine into the transformer, and then the transformer hooks up directly into the pole line infrastructure. Gotcha. So, is there anything else on like the facility level um, that we're missing? So, I mean, obviously, like like the turbine, the control systems, you know, the backup battery, maybe the CNG tanks, the compressors, anything else? I guess that kind of is involved with this whole package, in a sense. Yeah, the only thing extra that we put out there is a pressure control trailer, and that. Again, it, it does exactly what it sounds like. It just regulates the pressure going going into from the all the different itself. sources. Yes, sir, and it, it it really it really helps with just regulating different fuel types when we involve CNG. So it can accommodate both CNG, you know, high pressure CNG, as opposed to you know, a couple hundred psi field gas. Okay. So it kind of handles the the mixing of the fuel. So there's there's no there's no interruptions if there ever has to be. Um, CNG put put into the fuel line as, gotcha. as a backup. So I assume that's all I, basically the same, or so it's all automated, probably. Yes, sir. Automated yeah, controls. It's okay. All, yes, sir. And then, um, yeah. Other than that, you'll you'll have a uh, you know a, a basic horizontal water knockout separator, whatever you want to call it. The uh, it, the way the, the pressure control trailer really works, uh, it it kind of mitigates. Any any liquids from falling out of the fuel system, so the the water knockout is there just as a safety precaution, just to catch any slugs, just so you're not hit your fuel controller with a big slug of liquid. But okay, and that's, that's it. That's after um, the pressure control trailer, like right before the input to the uh, turbine, or it it kind of depends. Uh, you know, sometimes you'll we like to put them after. Mm-hmm. Just in case a slug does make it through the pressure control trailer, mm-hmm. uh, depending on your fuel source, if we're drawing off of a, a tank battery, you're obviously going to have a uh, liquid knockout over there as well. Yeah. So, um, as typically, as long as it's before the turbine, before it gets to the fuel controller, yeah. <laughs> you're in good shape. Okay, gotcha. <laughs> so, I guess you know, one thing I'd love to kind of hit on a little bit more is, you know, what are their you know, considerations or, or questions, you know, do have to be answered uh, before you come in and, you know, and do this with an operator. I think we, we've hit on a few, and we've definitely found a few throughout this discussion, but are there a couple others that definitely jump out to you that, you know, if someone's listening now and actually thinking about this as a potential solution for the company, you know, what other questions, um, you know, need to be answered as to whether or not this is feasible? So the, there's really three three main things that we like to touch on is the, the fuel source. So that 
gets into your gas quality and gas quantity. Again, the, the gas quality, you know, I, I like to look at a gas analysis just to make sure that we know what we're, what we're burning through the turbine, but there's such a wide tolerance of field gas that it can burn. Uh, it's, it's, really, it's really kind of a non-issue. I just want to make sure that it's not going to... It's thought out. You know, have <laughs> eight, you know, it's not going to have like 90% CO2 in it or something before we go through all this trouble to, to try and burn a, a fuel gas that mm-hmm. can't even really be burned. <laughs> Do you have issues um, with H2S? Okay. Uh, yeah, not really. I mean, the the units themselves will handle a a lot more H2S than we allow to get put through. I mean, we'll handle. You know, we we advertise that we can take up to one percent H2S on most of the units. In reality, the turbine is burning significantly hotter than a flare just mm-hmm. due to its design, so it'll burn off uh, a majority of that. I think it's like over ninety nine percent of the H2S. Um, don't hold me on that, but um, it 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 gets rid of a good majority of the H2S that you burn through the unit. So the the problem that you'll see is that H2S in conjunction with compression and then anything else associated with the install, you know, mainly regulators and stuff like that. If it's not done right, you'll have I mean you'll have a higher failure rate on ancillary equipment such as you know, regulators and, and other sorts of gas pressure regulating equipment mm-hmm. that you will on the turbine itself. So mm-hmm. we, we try to limit it to 1%. Uh, we've got some smaller units that will burn up to 5%. It's got a different combustor design in it, so it's 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 pretty awesome. Um, yeah. You know, I've, I've never actually worked on the site that uh, they were trying to generate electricity off 5% H2S, but uh, if I ever come across one, because typically, again, we are just due to the volume of gas that we're burning, it's, it has to come off a main gas gathering line. Mm-hmm. So just to just to get the required pressures. Okay. So, but now I mean they can they can burn again a lot more H two S than um, than we actually put through them, and, and a lot of that's just for for safety too. Uh, yeah. I don't know about you, but I, I'd rather not be working on a turbine that has fifty thousand yeah. ppm H two S going through it. Yeah, for sure. So, okay, so fuel fuel source being the first one, and you said there was two others, questions-wise? Yes, sir. So uh, figure out the total load that's going to be put on the turbine. That's that's pretty easy to figure out if the customer's already on utility power because then we can just have them look at their utility bills and they can just oh, okay. tell us, like, what, what your meter uh, what your meter's spitting out every month, and, and we'll, we'll, base our, uh, we'll base our engineering off that. Or if it's a new facility, we just it pretty much just add up the connected horsepower that we expect to see on site uh, based on how many ESPs, transfer pumps, or, you know, facility power, and then just kind of just reverse engineer it from there to, to figure out what size turbine that we need. So that part's pretty easy. And then the last thing is just the desired line voltage. Just ask the operator how big of a microgrid they're willing to create because, you know, we're not doing we're not doing individual well power. So, you know, we're, none of the turbines we have will output at 480 volts. So we have to figure out exactly what line voltage that the turbine needs to output to. So we can either adjust the turbine internally to reflect that voltage or get a step up transformer. Mm-hmm. Okay. This, this kind of goes back to, like I said earlier, the, the project I worked on in college actually on, on, you know, turbine electric generation uh, with natural gas and permian and stuff. Um, how feasible was it to actually, you know, if, if a producer wanted to sell their user gas, basically, instead of going into pipeline, which obviously has its issues in the permian, um, wanted to actually just, you know, burn it all through a turbine, actually sell it into the consumer grid too. So what they don't use themselves, like, is that even a potential setup here? Or is that just too <laughs> complex here? Or how, what does that look like? So it's possible that kind of gets it, it. It just depends on the utility provider. Okay. Um, you know, it's and you know, <laughs> I hate to say it depends on this one, but this one really does depend. It depends I'm on sure, the utility yeah. <laughs> contract that the operator is um, is currently under. It depends on you know, do they own the infra- infrastructure? Do does the utility own the infrastructure? Do does the operator own the infrastructure? 
what type of limits, if any, you know, it's, it's, it's doable. Uh, it's just, you know, some of these operating agreements that the operator has with the utility provider, they're limited on how much electricity that they can put back into the grid. Gotcha. Um, just for instance, and so it kind of makes it a non-starter. It's like, well, if you can only put one megawatt back into the grid per month, that's, that's not a, that's not a right. lot of power. So yeah. why should we, if that's going to be the only reason for doing it now, if they've got one megawatt of extra electricity left over every month, uh, sure, it's kind of up to them, I guess, if they want to. <laughs> yeah, um, pursue it. Yeah. yeah, it just comes down but, to contracts. And okay, well, I was curious on that one. Then, so I'm not sure how much you um, maybe you've seen of industrial power plants and stuff, but I guess fundamentally, is there you know, with all these different pieces and stuff to it, is there a huge difference um, to actual industrial power systems and, and the, the way that they use the turbines and stuff? And if you, if that's outside of your scope, you can say so. But I'm just curious. Uh, a lot of the, so I'd say the main difference that you will see with using turbine power generation for either industrial or, uh, like, say, say colleges, for instance. Yeah. Uh, there's, I think the University of Texas has, I'm not sure what, what size turbines that they, that they are, but they're, you know, they've got two turbines that run at campus, but it's not just providing electricity, it's what you call uh, combined heat and power. So oh, yeah. essentially using the residual uh, exhaust coming off of the turbine to either run through heat exchangers and help with you know, yeah. heating and cooling Just of water. Increasing uh, that efficiency. Part, yeah, um, that part is kind of out of my scope because we just um, I, or I I don't deal with any of the uh, combined, combined power cycle. projects yeah. out here because um, you know Permian everyone is just concerned about electricity. So yeah. yeah, once you once you get into the industrial uh, or collegiate applications, yes, there's a, a, a huge application for those gotcha. combined heat and power. Care a lot more about efficiency then, huh? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And so I guess, you know, a couple quick questions I have here before we start to wrap this all up. Um, first off, I guess, does it sound like a jet engine? Um, <laughs> and then when we think about applications and stuff, you know, maybe like in Colorado or whatever, you know, where sound walls, you have to worry about um, the community impact, right? Does it, I guess, what is, what is the experience of being up around it? Is it real loud or what? So it does, again, it does depend on the type of engine, the, uh, the GE TM 2500s are actually, they're, they're all, I think they're relatively quiet. So I, I started off working on some older turbines and they, you know, they hurt my ears standing next to them. Like I had to have earmuffs or earplugs. Oh, okay. You just could not, could not carry on a conversation next to them. Yeah. Um, now the GE TM, the, the TM 2500s uh, and the SMT 60s, they are, you you can be next to them and and have a conversation with them. Uh, oh, okay. With someone awesome. standing next to you. It's it's really not that bad on the outside. Now you go on the inside of the enclosure, it's probably a different story. But outside, no, it's it's not bad at all. And even, um, you know, I I get a lot of inquiries from. You know, this is probably more down in South Texas where there's uh, where there's game ranches and stuff where a lot of these production sites are on. But you know, big concern out there's landowner doesn't want to have a turbine or this new piece of equipment because they think turbine and they associate it with jet engines like yeah we don't want a jet engine out there because it's gonna it's gonna you know scare away you know all my trophy trophy (laughs) yeah all the trophy Um, game (laughs) yeah and it's it it's it's a it's a valid concern and uh but you know the you know i went down was doing some maintenance on a turbine in south texas a few years ago and and I was, you know, I like to, I like to do all my maintenance at night because it's, especially during the summer for obvious reasons because of temperature. And so mm-hmm. I'd go down there and uh, get onto the lease about eight or nine o'clock at night. And, you know, there's, there's deer, there's cattle, and it's all just kind of grazing around the turbine. And they just, the noise just didn't bother them. You know, yeah. I, I assume at first it probably did, but after they got used to it, you know, we actually had to put cattle guards around the turbine because yeah. <laughs> I don't know I don't know what it was maybe the the hum of the turbine just uh, just made them curious but we had to put cattle guards around everything because they were just we just couldn't keep them out of there <laughs> um, so no I mean it 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 no it, it it doesn't really make a difference whether it's you know some of the, the smaller noisier ones or the 
the, gotcha. the newer, quieter ones. It, gotcha. It's not that bad. Okay. And then the other two questions I have pretty much um, overall, like um, cost wise, and I don't know if you can throw out numbers or not, but just like general, you know, we tens of thousands of dollars, you know, per month, like hundreds, of, you know, what's this kind of look like scale wise? And then also, um, the overall demand um, that you're seeing in the premium it sounds like it's been pretty high, but I guess if you know you have any way of quantifying that or you know saying how much you know, what this looks like right now currently or where you expect it to go, um, that'd be great. Yeah, so so price wise, you know, we're I'd say our biggest competitor is the utility. So if we're charging more than utility prices, we're we're not succeeding. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, when I say that, it does depend on the size of the turbine and the length of the term. You know, we're not a uh, we're not a, a, a day-to-day type generator rental company. Obviously, there's a, a little bit more that goes into our installs mm-hmm. um, than a you know a standard single diesel generator gen set that's going to go and power one pump for a couple months. Like we're going out there because the utility has told the operator, like, look, we're backed up. We're not going to be anywhere near your location for the next two years. You know, suck it up, find another way to generate electricity, and that's where that's where we come in. So, and then you know, once the utility gets there, it's it's kind of up to the operator. You know, if they expect this asset to be within their company for several years, which I know is probably very hard to predict at this point. Yeah. Then you know they'll just, especially if they're you know if we're providing them electricity cheaper than the grid, and they've got excess gas that. They just don't have anything to do with whether because it's they're losing money on it or because they just don't have the infrastructure to send it anywhere. And yeah, I mean it, which is where the majority of our customers are at. You know, they they want the turbines there because they've got excess fuel that they just can't do anything with, and they either have expensive power or unreliable power, no power combination of all three. And so yeah, yeah it's the Turbine just makes sense for them to have. Okay, so roughly on par with uh, what the generator, what what you'd be pulling from the grid then in terms of cost. So, it'd be, it'd, yeah, it'd be cheaper than the grid. Okay, yeah, and then just your quick notes on demand. So our our yard is empty right now. I don't have a single turbine in it. Okay, so, <laughs> wow. Um, and yeah. then the stuff that yeah, the stuff that is uh, getting built right now is for the most part for i don't know pretty much already sold they're yeah they're already on contract to be installed later this year so uh that's the that's the for you know any production engineer listening to this uh, that's the the biggest thing that i would request just being in business development is that if you can project your loads uh the furthest out possible and you know if this is something that you're looking to do regardless of whether it's a turbine or a you know, regardless of whether it's a 32 megawatt turbine or a, a 300 kilowatt natural gas generator, yeah, you know, generators are just in demand across the board uh, throughout all the Permian. I mean, the the grid is just it's just, it's just the way the the market is right now. So the the further along that operators can project how much power that they're going to consume, just the you know the, the better off you're going to be. I've yeah. I've been approached okay. by several companies that you know I've wanted like, hey, I need. 20 megawatts of power. It's like, okay, that's yeah, cool. When do you no. need it? Like, well, we, we need it now. Like, you know, it's like, well, yeah. <laughs> Takes a little more time than that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, especially yeah. when you have to get, you know, if you had to order transformers and ancillary equipment, like it's, you know, it's, it's not something you can just go to home Depot and get like, right. Take, <laughs> yeah. It takes a couple sure. weeks sometimes. to get this. Yeah. Done. Well, I'll throw more, one more question at you and then I'll let you throw in any closing comments or anything as we wrap up here. Um, so I guess, you know, one thing that's crossed my mind, uh, recently is, you know, so you have, let's say you have a 30, that 32 megawatt, um, you know, generator out there, that turbine out there, um, for one, do you have to fully use that, that 32 watt, um, or also, and then what does it look like if, you know, you are supplying, let's say it is a full 32 and then all of a sudden one of your, um, one of your, your big, um, sources of, of, of power that, that's pulling from it, if that goes offline and so you have a reduction in, in your load, what happens? Nothing. So when the turbine starts up, you know, depending on which model it is, say it's running at 20,000 RPM. Okay. And it, there's zero load on it because you haven't energized the field yet. Mm-hmm. So the turbine's spinning 20,000 RPM. That power 
regardless of whether it's a you know five megawatt or thirty two it's it's just available power so it's it's uh, not going okay. anywhere until the field demands it so you know once you gotcha. you know, close the blades on the on the power line or close the breaker whatever you need to do to energize the field and power starts being drawn from the turbine even if you're running at 50 percent load that 50 percent is it's 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 just it's just available power oh, so okay. gotcha. again because the turbine's running at a constant speed you know if another pump kicks on it'll draw more electricity from the turbine if it shuts off goes back down to zero it's not going to it's not going to do anything to the turbine other than just affect how much fuel that you're consuming. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Okay. Well, sounds good. Thanks. You definitely helped uh, brief me on a lot of these topics. I've had a lot of these questions in my mind for quite a while. So thank you for, for getting them answered here. Is there anything that, you know, you want to throw in here before we wrap up or anything that we missed or anything just sitting on your mind? You know, I, I think the, the only thing that I really wanted to cover was just kind of their, the, the future applications and for turbines in the oil field. I mean, we are. Oh yeah, for sure, man. Um, you know, like I said, we're we're mainly focused on the production and drilling market because there are there are specific companies out there that do completions and fracking. I mean, that's just that's that's their baby. Mm-hmm. When it comes to turbines on the production side, I mean, that's that's what I've done my entire career in the turbine business and that's what all of us at life cycle power have done and the the thing that i find interesting is that we've we've recently pushed into the drilling side of the market and, and when i said that you know when, it, when we first started having this conversation i was like well you know drilling rigs obviously move but it's it's kind of it's different in the way that we're approaching it with incorporating turbines into the, the power generation side so we've got several sites where we're running gas turbines on production facilities mm-hmm. and we've gotten with the operator mainly kind of marrying the production and the drilling sites together in a way that they've never done before. And, and what I mean by that is we're having them build out power line infrastructure to the drilling rigs before they're ready to produce, which is something that is obviously not done very often. The power lines typically come in after, you know, the, the flowback yeah. guys have all cleared out of there and they're ready to actually drop the pump into the hole. And so we're like, look, we've got this turbine out there. It's, we've got a couple on this one side. There's a couple of 32 megawatt turbines. Like, like, look, you've got extra power. Why don't you build some lines out to these pads where you're about to drill? Because you're going to have to build them eventually. It's just a yeah, matter of time. You know, ask, you're building yeah, them move it now up. instead of... Yeah. So convince them to build out power to this pad and then all we do is we bring in a 600-volt transformer, which we tie into the grid that the turbine is providing electricity to, mm-hmm. and that way it completely eliminates their diesel cost. So there's no diesel generators that need to be used on the pad because all we do is we run wire down to this 600-volt transformer. The transformer feeds into the drilling rig, and then you've got a drilling rig that's running on 100% grid power, or I guess microgrid power, that's mm-hmm. being fed by the turbine. And then whatever residual power that is left over is being fed to the rest of the field. And so, you know, we've got, you know, one of those, one of those 32 megawatt turbines will theoretically run about 12 drilling rigs at once on just one unit. So, Oh, wow. Now I don't, we don't, I don't have any customers that are running 12 drilling rigs (laughs) all on the same site. Um, But if you, if you had the potential to do so, I mean, you, you could. And so, Theoretically speaking, you've just gotten rid of, you know, if your average three diesel generators per drilling rig, you've just gotten rid of 36 diesel generators on from your drilling program, and you're running them all on a natural gas turbine. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. So now that's that's where we're seeing a shift. Uh, you know, we're obviously not running just 12 drilling rigs on one turbine. We're running, you know, a couple here and there, and then the rest of the power is available for for production facilities and whatever yeah. else they want to tie tie into it, but in terms of cost savings, I mean, you can do the math pretty easily. You can if you can cut out three diesel generators plus fuel a month on your drilling rig and run it on produced gas, and it's it's kind of a no brainer. Yeah, especially if you're building the infrastructure, anyways. So, mm-hmm. yeah, no, thank you very much. That's been a lot of great insight. <laughs> I appreciate you reaching out and, and being a guest on the show. You're always welcome back. I'm sure this is just barely scraping the surface, so feel free to come back and we can hit some other angles. Yes, sir. I, I appreciate the opportunity. And 
and I know we, we did cover a lot. I, I probably talked really fast because there's a, a lot of technical aspects right. to, to, to putting a turbine in the field. But, I mean, at the end of the day, it's it's still a generator. It's just it's it's just a little bit fancier type generator. But, yeah. um, you know, all we're doing is taking natural gas and converting it to electricity. So, at the end of the day, like I said, it's, it's just a generator. So absolutely well sounds good thanks again so much for for being on the podcast and thanks everyone for listening uh this is a a topic i'd love to continue with here on the show so if you have any perspective dad please don't hesitate to to reach out i know i'm always we're already talking with uh, a gentleman who's on the maintenance side uh, specifically so potentially bring that on as another topic to just further flesh out this this turbine side of our industry so very interesting to watch it'll be interesting to see how how this further gets implemented in our industry and whatnot so Thanks again, guys, for listening, and stay well, stay healthy, and we'll catch you next episode, guys. Take care.